and we are back. Welcome, my friends. Once again, I am Mark Pantano. Today is Monday, March 9th, and you are listening to Declaring Liberty, the podcast where the Constitution matters, the issues matter, and we do our best to hold people accountable. Now, there are other places out there in the world where you can find me besides this podcast. If you are on Twitter, then I have some good news for you. I also am on Twitter. You can find me at the Mark Pantano. That is my handle. I'm also on Facebook. I'm on YouTube, so subscribe to that channel. Uh, what else? Uh, I've got a couple of websites you should know about, markpantano.com and declaringliberty.com. That is the home of this podcast. For those of you who would like to help support this show, uh, you can do so at patreon.com slash markpantano, and your help would be greatly appreciated. Now, let's uh, discuss the issues of the day, shall we? Let's begin by talking about the coronavirus just a little bit in terms of its effect or possible effect on our politics. Now, I have been warning people for a very long time. If you've been listening to this podcast for the last year, uh, you will know this to be true. I've been warning that our economy is a phony economy in many respects. It is a bunch of smoke and mirrors. We are being lied to about this economy. Um, it is an economy with very serious structural problems, uh, the most significant of which is that it's an economy propped up on massive debt. Uh, we have a debt problem that uh, is very difficult to even grasp the severity of it. We currently have more than $23 trillion in fiscal operating debt. We are adding more than $1 trillion every single year to the debt. We have more than $200 trillion in unfunded liabilities that we uh, largely ignore when we talk about the debt, but which is important. Th this level of debt is going to destroy this economy. Um, it will plunge us into economic catastrophe, the likes of which we have never seen in this country, potentially. It has the potential to make the Great Depression look like a walk in the park. You cannot sustain an economy with this level of debt. Add to that the fact that we have our foot on the gas. We are making it worse at an alarming rate. And consider the fact that we have the largest generation in American history, the baby boomers, who are reaching the age of retirement more and more every day retiring, getting on Social Security. Uh, many of them may live 30 years collecting Social Security and Medicare. And on top of that, we're expanding the welfare state. We're expanding healthcare welfare uh, through Obamacare, expanding Medicare through that program, and on and on and on. Our debt is massive, our spending is massive, and it's getting worse. And it's having an effect. It is like an anchor around the neck of this economy. Take a look at, because I hear this all the time. People say, people think that the debt is just a number on a piece of paper. It has no real effect. It's just playing with the books. Well, that's, you're a fool if that's what you think. The debt is causing us to spend hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars every year just to service the interest on that debt. And that number is growing and growing. We're spending more and more of our federal budget. And it's a, it's a huge percentage now just to service the debt we've already accumulated while we continue to accumulate more. And just to show you, besides that number, which is a real number having a real effect on our economy and our lives, we're being taxed to service that debt. But it's also having other effects, like hampering our economic growth. You know, our economic growth rate is only 2%, plus or minus. Sometimes it's a little less than 2%, and sometimes it's a little more over the last three years. But it's roughly, give or take, 2%. 
That's pathetic. Yet, we're being told that this is the greatest economy in American history. We've never seen growth like this. Uh, this is the greatest growth rate in American history. These are the things that, that Trump has been saying. In fact, he was just saying these things the other day, last week, on this uh, town hall event that he did on Fox News, and we'll talk about that later. But it's simply not true. 2% growth is not the strongest economy in American history. The only way you can possibly make that argument is to look at the unemployment rate, which is historically low. But if you have such an historically low unemployment rate, why the hell do you have only 2% growth? It's because this economy has major fundamental problems, massive debt being one of them. It is restricting the degree to which we can grow. We should be booming right now. If everybody's working, if this is historically low unemployment, we should be booming right now. We should be firing on all cylinders. We should be seeing 6 8% growth or more. But no, we see 2% growth. And we're told that it's the greatest economy in American history. We're being lied to. We've been lied to. This is smoke and mirrors. It's all phony. And it's going to come crashing down. Now, let's... Oh, and there's other reasons. I mean, look, we play with the numbers. We, we jigger this economy to prop it up. And, and all those things that we're doing are going to have consequences. They're going to make us collapse. They're going to make it worse when we do. Like keeping these, art, these uh, interest rates artificially low so that there's cheap money, which, which discourages savings. All these problems, all these things that are government-created. We are headed for massive economic collapse at some point in the future. You simply cannot, in the long term, sustain an economy like this. You cannot repeal the laws of economics, and at some point, it's going to catch up to us. As you know, I've been saying this for months and months, if not years, that this is going to happen, that we are going to have a collapse, that this economy is phony. And what you are seeing now, oh, and, and what I've been telling you also is that it's, that it's unpredictable when it's going to happen. You know, what could trigger a collapse? We might not see this coming. You know, it might not be this long, slow progression to a collapse that people can predict. You know, it could be something that is triggered by an event. It could be a natural disaster. It could be a war. It could be a pandemic. We don't know. It could be anything. Now look at this coronavirus. This is sort of the sort of thing I've been telling you about. Now, I am not saying that the coronavirus is going to result in a collapse of the economy. Not saying that at all. I'm not predicting that. This could just as easily in, uh, you know, a couple months sort of fade away, like the president has suggested. Uh, it's way too early, I think, to make any bold predictions like that. And I'm not really in the prediction game, other than the generalized prediction that you cannot sustain an economy like this long term. That there is going to be an economic reckoning. There is going to be a collapse in the future if we do not you know, drastically and immediately reverse course, which of course we're not doing. But other than that generalized sort of prediction, I'm not in the prediction business. So I'm not predicting anything. What I do want you to take away from what you see happening with this coronavirus is the fact that this economy is smoke and mirrors and it's fragile. And anything has the potential to trigger a collapse. This could potentially... Or something else in the future. But it, it, it's unpredictable what could trigger a collapse. Look at this coronavirus. How bad is it right now? It's not that bad. You know, there's, there's not even that many people who have been diagnosed in this country. Yet, look at what you're seeing. You're seeing panic in the markets. You're seeing, you're seeing the, the, the stock market nosedive. You know, Trump has been all about two things. Obsessively. Promoting two things as, as evidence of his unparalleled success. The unemployment rate and the stock market. Those are the things he points to to prove to you that this is the greatest economy in American history. 
Because, of course, those are really the only two indicators of a great economy. Uh, most of the other numbers you could take a look at show severe problems in our economy. But he, has, he, he constantly tells us about those two things. Well, look at the stock market now. It's, it's rattled. It's plummeting. I don't know what that's going to have, what kind of effect that's going to have long term on the job market. We'll have to see. But what you should take away from this is how easily this economy can be rattled. By, by, by just a handful of people being infected in this country, we're a country of 330 million people. How many people are, have been infected in this country? I, I don't even know what the current number is. A hundred? I don't know. And look at this. The panic out there. People hoarding toilet paper. I live in a state where, what, one or two people have been diagnosed? That's it? And already last week, uh, the shelves are bare of toilet paper uh, and, and basic necessities. Are you freaking kidding me? Already? A couple of people in the state get sick and now you can't buy toilet paper? Imagine if this thing gets worse. Look, we don't even have the ability to test many people right now. You know, say there's 100 people in the country who are infected. I bet you anything, it's way more than that. We just don't know about it. How many people, I mean, the symptoms mimic the flu and the common cold. How many people have the coronavirus and just think they have a cold or the flu? And most people, look, I got to be basically on my deathbed to go to the doctor. I'm not going to the doctor just because I'm sick or I got the flu. I, I, never, I never do. You, you, you've got, it would take a team of wild horses to get me to go to the doctor. I really have to be sick. Uh, there's probably a lot of people out there like that. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just suffer th- through it for a week and a half or whatever until it works its way through. That's just kind of how I am. I bet a lot of other people are the same way. Certainly, you know, they have symptoms that aren't too bad. They're not, they're not going to go to the doctor. They could have the coronavirus. We don't know about them. And, most, and a lot of the people who do go to the doctor, we don't have the ability to test them anyway. So we don't have any idea how many people in this country are actually infected with this virus. Now, as we increase our ability to test, as we get more te- test kits out there, this number of infected is going more than likely to skyrocket, certainly from the relatively no, low number that it is now. What happens... To the level of panic in this country, if instead of a couple of hundred people, we have a couple of thousand or tens of thousands or, you know, God forbid, hundreds of thousands or more. What would happen to this country? The panic. There's there's already talk of, you know, shutting down large scale events, shutting down schools, people not going to work. Companies are already uh, having, making, um, Taking steps for people not to come to work, but to, to telecommute and all these sorts of things. What happens when it goes from a couple hundred uh, to a couple thousand and upward? What is that going to do to the stock market? It just shows you how fragile the economy is. And this stock market. Based on speculation, I mean, we're, we're living through so many bubbles right now built on nonsense, built on speculation, built on phony numbers, built on cooking the books. It's smoke and mirrors. And when anything acts as a jolt to the system, something negative comes in and jolts the system, it doesn't take much to throw the whole thing into chaos. I'm not saying this coronavirus is going to get a lot of wor- a lot worse. I'm not making any predictions. I'm not saying this is going to sink the economy. I'm not saying any of that. But what I'm telling you is, look how little this really is at this point in time. And look at how much it's already rocked our world. And just imagine if it actually gets bad or if some some virus in the future hits and is actually bad or some other event happens some other sort of natural disaster or war or whatever you can imagine the different scenarios 
events that are unpredictable and that could uh, destroy this economy and upend, you know, our delicate balance in this country. We could have serious problems. Um, so this is, you know, this is where you should take a look and say, you know, this things aren't as good as we have been led to believe. And this whole thing could come crashing down uh, unexpectedly. Now, to the politics of it. Trump, um, as you know, and those of you who are new to this podcast, just know this. And I, I, I feel I need to say this repeatedly because there's always new people listening. Understand that to me, in politics, I don't care about the people involved. I do not care at all about any of them. I'm not attached to any of them. I don't love any of them. I don't hate any of them. They don't mean anything to me. I don't vote for people or vote against people because I love them or hate them. I vote for people based on what I think is best for the country. That's it. I have no personal attachment to any of these people. I know a lot of people out there, maybe some of you, can't really understand that. Because to them and perhaps to you, Politics is personal. It's all just like a team sport. It's you, you pick your side, you pick your team, you pick your guy, and you just defend them no matter what. Whatever they say, you support. Whatever they do, you think is the greatest thing ever. Anybody who criticizes them, well, they're the enemy. No criticism of your guy is valid. Now, Trump is the president right now. So... He is the focus of most political discussion in this country. Okay, so I talk about the president a lot because what the president does matters. And as it so happens, I have a lot of criticisms of this president. So if you are new to this show and you hear me criticize the president, understand that my criticisms aren't about him personally. It's about the policies. It's about the things he does or doesn't do. So if you hear me criticize this president, you need to try to divorce my criticism from the person of Trump himself. You know, I would be making these same criticisms no matter who the president was. Would you be reflexively defending him no matter who the president was? No, I don't think so. That's the difference. Because for you, for those of you for whom the personality of Trump is what matters to you and you defend him no matter what. To you, it's it's all personal. It's, it's, it's team sports. To me, it's issues. I don't care about any of the other stuff. So understand that when you hear me criticize the president. Now, here's how uh, the politics of this coronavirus stuff could affect Trump. The way I see it, Trump is largely an unaccomplished president. I know this might sound shocking to some of you who uh, have heard for so long that Trump has accomplished more than any other president in American history. Well, this is all nonsense. Uh, Of course he has accomplishments. Of course he has. He's been president for more than three years. Uh, Any president who's been president for more than three years has done a lot of stuff. And the president has done a lot of stuff. A lot of it has been good stuff. The problem is, most of it has been little stuff. You know? Um, The big stuff, most of the things he ran on, have not been accomplished. The big things. Now we got a tax cut, and we've gotten some deregulation, and those two things have helped um, improve the economy from where it was when he took office. But as I say... There's only so much you can do because this economy has such major fundamental structural problems. And in many ways, Trump has continued to exacerbate those problems. As I told you, one of the worst problems is our debt. It is a debt that is going to become crippling. It is a debt that is already having serious negative consequences. And Trump is making it worse. Trump promised not only to to, uh, eliminate the deficit, that is uh, the yearly debt accumulation, 
But he promised during the campaign that after his eight years, assuming he served two terms, he would eliminate the debt, which when he took office was $20 trillion. He promised to pay that back and leave office with zero national debt. Now, that was always a ridiculous promise. Um, anyone with half a brain would, would understand that that's a ludicrous promise. Nonetheless, this is what he promised. Not only has he not paid off $1 of debt, he has added more than $3 trillion to that debt. We are now adding debt at a level greater than Barack Obama was. So he is making our most significant economic problem worse. So it's even a mixed bag on the economy. He's done good things. He's done bad things. But beyond the economy, beyond the tax cuts, and then beyond a bunch of the little things, there's really not much. You know, moving the embassy to Jerusalem, whoopee frickin' do. I mean, there's, this is just not, there's just not a lot of huge accomplishments here. Trump's entire rationale, his entire argument that he has been such a great president and that he deserves to be reelected is wrapped up in the economy. Even his most ardent supporters, the ones who uh, constantly make excuses for him, defend him no matter what he does. Those, who, those people who cannot abide an, an honest criticism of him uh, to any degree without being triggered and angered. Those people, the, the people I refer to as cultists, the people who are obsessed with President Trump personally, so much so that they don't even care about the issues. These people, there is absolutely no issue. There is no position that they pretend to have today that they would not abandon tomorrow if it meant defending Trump. You know, they could be all opposed to amnesty today. If tomorrow Trump comes out in favor of amnesty, well, then they'll all be in support of amnesty. That Those kind of people. Those people uh, to whom principles uh, and, and um, their positions on issues are secondary or tertiary uh, to the obsessive defense of Trump. These people. Even these people, when you ask them, to name Trump's big accomplishments, most of them can't name anything besides the economy. And then they might rattle off some little things. And most of them, in my experience, are just, um, you know, cliches and bumper stickers. They're not actual concrete accomplishments. You know, they'll say, oh, he's made America great again. Well, that's not an accomplishment. That's a slogan. Uh, you know, and other things. You know, he's fighting for us. Well, th th that's a meaningless phrase. That's not, that's not an actual accomplishment. So even they can't tell you much besides the economy. And Trump doesn't make much effort to tell you much besides the economy because that's really all he's got. I watched this town hall event he did on Fox News. It was just over and over and over about the economy, economy, economy. He's built his entire narrative around this economy, which he says is the greatest in American history. Well, what happens now if this coronavirus thing spirals out of control, gets worse, instead of a couple hundred infected in the United States, we're dealing with many, many thousands. What if we're dealing with, with tens of thousands? What happens when schools close all around the country? What happens when people can't go to work? You know, maybe some people will continue uh, to draw a salary uh, you know, s people who are who are salaried positions, maybe they will continue to get paid. But what about people who are hourly? What happens when those businesses shut down and they can't get paid and they live paycheck to paycheck and now they have no paycheck? Can you imagine the panic? I mean, this has really serious po potential negative consequences. And now I'm not predicting any of that. I'm just pointing out that this could happen. It might not happen, but it certainly might as well. What happens if this thing continues to get worse? What happens if this has a real negative effect on the economy? What happens if the stock market continues to drop? What if this triggers a recession? What if the unemployment rate goes up as businesses 
have to close down. Or supply chains are disrupted. People don't go out. And the hospitality and entertainment industry takes a major hit. This has all kinds of ripple effects, which could manifest itself in negative consequences to the economy. What happens to Trump's re-election prospects at that point in time? I don't know, but it can't be good, especially when the economy is the entire argument for this guy's presidency and the entire argument for his re-election. And think of this. I was thinking about this the other day. I, I want, I'm going to, again, I'm going to get into this uh, town hall he did on Fox News a little bit later. But, you know, this was an hour and a half, sit down, and he did very well um, stylistically, but on the substance, it was vapid. It was basically a quieter version of a campaign rally. It, it, was, is, it was largely substance-free. And what I noted... Well, this and, and this is done in the midst of a re-election campaign, right? What I noted during this, and what I note in looking at all of his tweets and all of his public statements and all of his rallies, what is notably absent is any sort of agenda for a second term. What exactly is he planning on doing in a second term? I haven't heard squat. All I hear is how the, the first term was so fantastically successful, so you got to elect me again. That's basically all I've heard. There's no agenda for a second term. It's, it's the Democrats are socialists, they're radicals, here's a bunch of names I call them, and don't vote for them. Joe is sleepy, he's not all there, Bernie is crazy, and I'm, I got the greatest economy in history, so vote for me. No talk about what the second term would be. In truth, because the things that are going to come in the second term, you don't want to hear. Like amnesty and gun control. Can't say that. But so, but so he doesn't say anything. It's just all about how great he is and how terrible they are. But no, no agenda for a second term. So what happens to his prospects for re-election if this coronavirus gets worse and the economy tanks and it doesn't have to collapse, what if it just goes from a robust 2%, you know, down to one and a half percent or maybe a recession? Maybe we start getting negative growth. What happens if we're in recession in November of this year? What happens then? Not good. Not good at all. Especially when the economy is his entire reason for re-election. Because there's not much else to speak about the success of the first term. Because there wasn't much there. Not on big substantive issues. Certainly not on the issues that got him elected. Namely, illegal immigration. You notice he doesn't talk about that anymore. I told you a few weeks ago, I saw Brad Parscale being interviewed by... Uh, Brad Parscale's Trump's campaign manager being interviewed by Lou Dobbs. And Lou Dobbs said, hey, what about illegal immigration? I don't hear you. You just said a litany of stuff. I didn't hear you say anything about illegal immigration. And Parscale says to him, oh, well, we're not going to really focus on illegal immigration in this campaign because we solved that problem. Now, he didn't solve the issue. He solved the problem. And what he means by that is, well, everybody in the Republican Party thinks we're doing everything we can, so they don't blame us for the continuing illegal immigration problem. And that's all that matters. Just as long as Trump doesn't get blamed for it, it won't hurt him. And so let's just ignore it. Let's just ignore the fact that the guy promised two years ago to issue an executive order to ban the practice of giving birthright citizenship to the children of illegal aliens, and two years later still hasn't done it. Meanwhile, 400,000 anchor babies are getting born each year. Well, let's just ignore the whole thing. Let's just ignore it. We've solved that problem. What Parscale means is 95% of Republicans support Trump. So we don't have a problem. Illegal immigration is not a problem. So we could just ignore it. Let's just keep touting the economy. We didn't get rid of Obamacare. So let's just ignore that too. Let's just keep touting the economy. Oh, and don't forget, we moved the embassy 
uh, to Jerusalem. So that's, you know, big win there. Let's Those two things, we're going to just glide to re-election. What happens if we're in recession in November and we can't tout the economy anymore? What if we can't say with a straight face, and I don't know why we should even be able to say this now, but whatever we do, that this is the greatest economy in American history. You can't really say that when you're in recession. It's kind of ridiculous that we even say it now with a measly 2% growth, but nonetheless we say it. You certainly can't say that with a straight face if we're in recession. Or if the, you know, the stock market lost half its value or, or you know, the unemployment rate skyrockets. Or we've got riots in the street because businesses have had to close and people have out of work are out of work. People living paycheck to paycheck suddenly don't have any money. And they can't buy toilet paper even if they did. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. And especially given how fragile this economy is and how much it is propped up. It's all smoke and mirrors. None of it's true. It's all phony. This entire economy is phony. And this coronavirus is exposing that in a way. And if it gets worse, it could potentially upend this election. And I can see easily that the Democrat candidate, whoever it is, could potentially win this thing in a walk. And let me tell you something else. Trump has rhetorically uh, put himself in a potentially very bad position. He has been, he has said many times, he's been out there downplaying the severity of this coronavirus problem. Now, right, I am not in favor of hyping this thing up. As I said, it's not that bad right now. And it might peter out and be nothing in a couple of months, right? Or it might be worse. I don't know. I'm not, I'm no expert on this stuff. I'm not making predictions. And I certainly don't think it's responsible to blow this thing up and create a bunch of fear and panic. But Trump is out there downplaying it, saying this is all, this is all going to be gone in a couple months. As soon as the weather warms up, this will be gone. Well, maybe he's right. I hope he is. And he might be. I have no idea. But what if it's not? What if it doesn't? What if it doesn't get better? What if it doesn't, you know, fizzle out in a couple months when the weather warms? What if it's getting worse? And Trump is on record downplaying it, saying it's no big deal. Over and over again, saying it's not a big deal. He said it in many different iterations. Well, that's going to come back to bite him in the ass big time. Because it'll make it sound... I mean, you can imagine the campaign ads... You can imagine what the media is going to say in unison, everywhere. You know, if things are bad, if people are panicking, if people can't buy toilet paper, if people are out of work, if the stock market plunges, if we're, you know, the economy is slowing down, God forbid we're in recession, if things get worse, and then come, you know, uh, the fall, and we're really in the home stretch of this campaign, and all we're talking about is, uh, coronavirus and uh, the recession brought on by the coronavirus and then constantly playing these sound bites of Trump downplaying the seriousness of this, that's going to be devastated, devastating to his re-election campaign. So, look, you don't come out and create panic and fear. But I think it was a political mistake to also downplay it as well. You just should, you know, take the tone of we're, we're taking this very seriously. We're doing everything we can, uh, updating the public daily the way Mike Pence is doing now, taking sort of a, a somber, serious approach, sort of, a, you know, just the facts sort of approach instead of putting a political spin on it, which is what this all is. You know, and his comments about it being a hoax, that's going to come to bite him in the ass. Now, we know that he wasn't saying the coronavirus is a hoax. A hoax. He was talking about them blaming it on him being a hoax. But it doesn't matter. That thing is taking on a life of its own now. Just like the whole Charlottesville thing. Saying that there were good people on both sides. He wasn't saying that white supremacists were good people. But again, it's not what... The, tru- the truth of it doesn't matter. It's whatever the narrative catches on and gets established. And that hoax line... 
in most quarters has become the established line that he is referring to the coronavirus as a hoax. Well, what if they're talking about that in October and November amidst a recession brought on by the coronavirus? And, and here they are playing clips of Trump making it sound like he said the whole thing was a hoax and certainly downplaying all of it. Oh, just it's no big deal. Soon as it gets warm, it's not going to be a big deal. You know, and, and bringing up all the tweets. This has, this, this has the potential to elect Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders. It absolutely does. I'm not predicting that because we don't know how this thing is going to play out. But it could. Now, this wouldn't even be possible if the things that we were being told about Trump or have been told about Trump for, for months and months were true. And that is, uh, he is the most accomplished president in American history. This is the best economy in American history. He is the most loved president in American history. You know, 30-40% of black Americans are in support of Trump. He is, you know, bringing over people to the Republican Party who never voted for, uh, before for president or who have been lifelong Democrats, uh, Blexit, and all this other stuff. Trump is just, you know, increasing uh, his support by leaps and bounds every single day. This is what we're being told. Of course, there's no evidence for almost any of it. By the way, if, if Trump was getting 30% or more approval in the black community, you would see this reflected in the polls somewhere. Now, I, I know we don't put a lot of stock in polls, but nonetheless, we should see some sort of evidence in the polls for this. There is, no, there is none. Trump has had the most consistent polling of any president in American history that I am aware of. He has been at the same approval, disapproval, plus or minus, for his entire presidency. His approval rating is in the low to mid-40s as a high. His disapproval rating is in the low 50s. And it's been this way from day one. It remains this way. If suddenly we went from Trump getting what? I don't know, 8 9% of the black vote to now he's got 30% approval among blacks. If that were true... His approval rating wouldn't be the same today as it was when he first took office. It would be, we would see it. We would see it. It would be much higher. If he was getting all kinds of people who never voted before, now suddenly supporting him. If he got all kinds of Democrats who voted for Hillary, who now love him, as we are being told, we'd see significant movement in his poll numbers. But we don't see it. And we don't see any evidence of it anywhere. And I, I hear all the time, oh, but look at the rallies. Look at the rallies. The rallies are not evidence of much of anything other than passion. The rallies are evidence of the passion of his support, the intensity among his supporters. It is not evidence of the number of his supporters. I'm sorry, it's not too difficult to fill one of these stadiums or these arenas. You know, rock bands do it all the time. This is the president of the United States with an intense, uh, an intensely passionate base. But you, you see that as evidence that his popularity is off the charts. No, he's got a loyal base that would walk over hot coals to go see him. That's what it's evidence of. But they can't vote more than once. And whenever he hears, he does one of these rallies, and especially if it's in a blue state or a blue city or town, I hear people say, oh, look, I remember, I remember this one in, because I tweeted about it. Um, he had a rally in, where was it? Like um, Broward County, Florida. This is Palm Beach, I think. Total blue area, far left area. And he had a rally there. And it was, you know, typical. It was filled to capacity, you know, people, you know, waiting for, for hours and hours and hours all day long. You know, t thousands of people couldn't get in. And, you know, of course, many Trump supporters were pointing this to, pointing at, to this as evidence that he is the most popular president ever. Okay? And they were saying, look, in blue Broward County, he's getting all these people. And I'm thinking, do you, have you people never heard of the car? Well, you think everybody at that rally is from Broward County 
And this is this is this arena is full of of people who were leftists up until Trump and now they love Trump and that's why his rally is full? No. These people came from all over. There's a lot of conservatives in Florida. There's a lot of conservatives you can fill that arena with, you know, 20, 50 times over who are within an hour driving distance of that arena. And on top of that, you got people at every Trump rally, tons of them, who drive from out of state, three, four states over. They come and they camp out just to go to these things. But no, they, they, they point to, to Trump doing a rally in deep blue Broward County as evidence that Democrats love him now. It's, it's ridiculous. N- none of this is true. We've been lied to about all of this. Now, Trump may very well get reelected. And I wouldn't be surprised if his support in different segments of the population increases. I would not be surprised at all if he gets a greater percentage of the black vote, if he gets a greater percentage of the Hispanic vote. You know, if he gets a number of uh, disaffected Democrats, I wouldn't be surprised of any of that. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins re-election, period. But it's nothing like we have been led to believe that it is. It's nothing like that. If he wins again, he's going to win a narrow uh, victory again. It's not going to be a landslide. But you throw a potential recession into the mix. You throw Look, what is going to happen to his approval rating if we have months of slow economic growth? If we have months of panic and the and the Democrats and the media start, you know, playing all of Trump's uh, comments and tweets about downplaying the seriousness of this. This could have a serious negative impact on his approval rating and his chances for re-election. We could be looking at a scenario where Trump loses in a landslide. A, a, a Trump landslide victory, just given the, the, the state of play in the Electoral College, is all but impossible. It's not completely impossible, but it's all but in, impossible. Now, a Trump landslide defeat is much more possible than a landslide victory. Because so many of the states that he won last time, he won by the skin of his teeth. Many of them voted red for the first time in decades. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. I tell you about those three all the time. Without those three, which he lost by less than, he won by less than 1% in each one of those states. If he had not won those states, he would not be president. You can easily see all three of those states go back to the Democrat. You could see Florida go to the Democrat. You could see Arizona go to the Democrat. Because at best case scenario, even if Trump wins Arizona, it'll be by a point or two. You can easily see that go. You could see Georgia. I could easily see Georgia uh, vote for the Democrat. I could see North Carolina easily vote for the Democrat. Just those states alone, you have basically a blowout Democrat landslide victory. And there are other states that we could easily lose if this thing continues to get bad. And the reason why Trump is so susceptible politically uh, to this issue, to this coronavirus, and what could potentially happen as a result of it, the reason he is so susceptible politically is because so much of what we have been told about the Trump record, the Trump popularity, the Trump economy, all of it has been is bullshit. It's all lies. It's all massive exaggerations. The economy is smoke and mirrors. The Trump, you know, massive popularity, look at, look at these rallies. That's all bogus. So, I don't know what the future holds, but what I can tell you with absolute certainty is that this situation with the coronavirus has the possibility of putting the final nail in Trump's political coffin. This could do it. I'm not saying that it will. And I hope that it doesn't because I hope this whole thing just fizzles out, that this virus just sort of fades away, and that this isn't a bigger problem than it currently is now. Not just for the politics of it, but for obviously the human cost involved. You know, I don't want any more deaths from this. I hope I hope this you know, doesn't get any worse for the sake of, you know, and the people who might be infected with this and God forbid lose their lives over this. So I hope it doesn't get worse at all. And maybe it won't. And I hope in a couple months from now, 
This isn't even an issue that we're talking about. But if it is, and right now you have to look at it and say it may very well be. Because we don't even know the extent of this problem right now. We, we don't. We don't even test most people who are sick. We don't have the test kits available. So we don't even know. As we start testing more people, as more test kits become available and all this, you know, we may very well be in a situation where we go from hundreds of infected to thousands and thousands of, of infected simply because we're able to detect it now. Who knows? I don't know. It could be either one of these two scenarios. And if it's the latter, if it is that this thing gets worse than it is right now, and instead of fizzling out and we don't talk about this in two or three months, what if we, this is the main story in two or three months? That's bad news. Not only is it bad news for the country, but it's bad news for the for Trump's re-election. So that's sort of my thoughts on, on that whole thing. And, and really what you need to keep in mind, even if this thing does fizzle out, and we hope it does, that this should lay bare to you the fact that this economy is not what we have been led to believe that it is. Because of, you know... A hundred people getting sick, that could shock the, the, the markets. That could cause significant economic problems or have the possibility to. That shows you right there. I mean, if you watch CNN, people on there are starting to talk to like in dooms, doomsday economic scenarios. You know, and a lot of that might be overblown and it might not come to pass, but they're already talking about how this could have the possibility of huge economic catastrophe. Why would they even be entertaining such a discussion if this economy is so strong fundamentally? Well, it's not, and that's the point. Fundamentally, it's weak. Fundamentally, it is propped up on, on debt and manipulation. And they all know it. And that's why they're talking about the possibility of economic disaster. Because they know this whole thing is a house of cards. And all it takes is for one little event... One thing could bring this whole house of cards tumbling down. And I'm not saying that this is going to be that event. But what I'm telling you is that it is going to, there is going to be an event that brings this whole thing crumbling down. Because it is a house of cards. It is smoke and mirrors. It is phony. And what we're seeing right now is scratching the surface a bit and giving us a look inside to see, hey... This economy is not as strong as I've been led to believe. So, anyways, just something to think about. Okay, now, um, I talked to you, I mentioned this Trump town hall. Where he was on Fox News and basically Brett Baer and Martha McCallum were the moderators for this thing. They asked some questions, audience members asked some questions. And the thing, you know, the way Trump approached it. Like I said, he's he's good in this situation. He's gotten much better at it. Um, he he always was good because of his his character. He's charismatic. He's compelling. Um, so he's good TV, right? And he's good at it. But that being said, it was just a low key version of a campaign rally. He he touched on many of the same themes that he does in the rally. He said many of the same lines he says in the rally. His approach, the way he talks about his administration and, and the Democrats, all the same thing you'd hear from a rally, uh, just in a more toned down sort of a format. And again, I didn't hear much in the way of specifics, and I was disappointed in that there were no pointed questions. Look, I'm not interested in gotcha questions. I'm not interested in scoring political points. I can't stand when uh, news acres and moderators and interviewers do that sort of thing. You know, their job, as far as I'm concerned, is to elicit information from these people, from these politicians. They should not be part of the stories themselves. They should not come at it with a viewpoint. Their questions should be designed to, to elicit information from these candidates. And I think, you know, Brett Baer and Martha McCallum and, of course, all the audience questions were ridiculous none of them did that. They were they were just open-ended softball questions, almost all of them. Certainly all the audience 
member questions, and those made up at least half of them. You know, they were they were open-ended. Like, uh, you know, there was a question about North Korea. President Trump, if you were reelected, what are your plans to handle North Korea? That's it. Um, nothing, no, you know, there's no pointed question there. There's no challenging question there. Um, so it just allows Trump to give a campaign answer. And most of the questions were like that. It was, to me, you know, I, I see people, Trump supporters all over social media posting articles about how this town hall event was the the highest rated town hall event with a candidate that Fox News has ever done. Well, whoopee freaking do. It was also the most vapid and, and you know, non-substantive town hall that that Fox News has probably ever done too. So, I mean, who cares? So a lot more people watched Trump say virtually nothing except how great he is. That's all I got out of that thing. You know, um, there were questions that I certainly would have liked to have heard asked that would dig deeper on some of these things. Like there was a throwaway question about illegal immigration. I don't even remember what it was. It was so nothing. You know, and, and Trump was able to give just some little boilerplate response and that's it. His major campaign promise, the thing that got him elected, illegal immigration. You know, what most of us on the conservative, well, I'm not going to say, what me and many others, what I, let me get my, my grammar correct, what I and many others on the conservative side see as the single most important issue, bar none, illegal immigration was not even seriously discussed. Nothing. It was, the whole thing to me was, um, you know, a joke. So, let me, he said a few things about the economy, right? And this is to make my point. And I, I took notes. These are verbatim exact quotes. He said, uh, the economy is, quote, the best economy we've ever had. He also said, quote, we never had growth like we're experiencing. So let's talk about that. Is this the best economy we've ever had? Again, as I've discussed. No, of course not. That's absurd. You cannot make... Now, you can say particular parts of it. You could point to the stock... Uh, you could point to the stock market and say, hey, this is the best stock market we've ever had. You can make that argument. Uh, you can argue that this is the best um, unemployment rate we've ever had, at least in, in the past several decades. You know, um, you can you can make that argument, even though we do a lot to manipulate the unemployment rate. 3.5%, which is the latest number, um, because the jobs report just came out for February that were up like 273,000 jobs and the unemployment rate dropped back down to 3.5%. So that's the most recent number that I've seen. Uh, you can make the argument that that's like one of the greatest unemployment rates ever, but that's not the real unemployment rate. Just like under Obama, that's that's a phony unemployment rate because we don't even count people once they have been unemployed for a certain period of time. If they've been unemployed long enough, we just don't count them anymore. And you're not really looking for a job, so we're not going to count you. You know, the workforce participation rate is not very good. That is still very, uh, you know, low compared to where it should be. We've got like over 100 million people not in the workforce. Not participating in the workforce, that's not a good number. But anyways, you can point to certain aspects of the economy and make the argument that those things may be the best ever. But then you have to completely gloss over and totally ignore other parts of the economy. Like our pathetic growth rate, 2%? Give me a break. How can you possibly? And usually, you know, growth rate has always been the key indicator for the strength of economy. the economy. That's the number one thing you look at in terms of judging the health of an economy and the strength of an economy. Not the unemployment rate, the growth rate. That's the important number for judging the overall strength of an economy, but we don't do that anymore. Why? Because it sucks. 2.0%, 1.9, 2.1, it all sucks. That's a lousy growth rate. We don't talk about that number anymore. You never hear it talked about. You never hear Trump talk about a 2.0% growth rate. If our growth rate was 8%, he'd be, he'd be touting that number in every speech. But he never touts the growth rate number because it sucks. So you cannot, on balance, make a realistic argument that this is the strongest economy in history. It's just not. It's not even close to the strongest economy in history. 
Many recent presidents, many of them, have had much stronger economies than this economy we're currently in. So, you know, that's just laughable. Again, and, and he said, we never had growth like we're, experience, we're experiencing. How can you say that with a straight face? We've never had growth like we're experiencing? That's his direct quote. How can you say that? 2% growth? We've never had 2% growth before? That's the highest growth rate we've ever had? I mean, he didn't say that, but that was a clear implication. That's what he wanted the morons out there in the audience, the cultists that I talk about, who cheer every damn thing that he says and takes everything he says as gospel truth. He, this is for them. This is for their consumption, for their, for them to, to hear Trump say we've never had growth like we're experiencing and take from that that this is the highest growth rate we've ever had. Well, of course, it's not true at all. Never seen growth like this. Yes, we have. We saw it with Barack Obama. Remember? He had 2% growth. The only difference is when we had 2% growth under Barack Obama, the entire Republican Party trashed Obama for his lousy economy. And we mocked him for his pathetic growth rate of only 2%. Now, he had a, he had quarters where he was above 3%. Most of it was below that. Most of his economy was roughly where we are now, 2%. And we mocked him relentlessly for it. We pointed out how crappy a growth rate that is. Well, now, now that Trump has the same growth rate, apparently, it's the greatest growth rate ever. What a freaking joke. So what else did he say? He talked about immigration. And... Um, yeah, he didn't talk about it in any great detail other than to say that he's done more than anybody else and that he can't do any more. That's basically it. It's, it's, it's the Democrats' fault. That was his basic message. This was a quote. Quote, We have to get rid of the loopholes, but we can't do that without Democrat votes. Unquote. That's what he said. He mentioned loopholes with respect to immigration several times. Notably, however... He never once gave an example of a single loophole that he's talking about. Never once. But it doesn't matter. The facts don't matter. All he needs is for you to understand that there's loopholes. Well, first of all, there's no such thing as a loophole. It's the law or it's not. It's the law. That's it. It's the law. There's not a loophole. It's the law. Now, there's crappy aspects of the law. There's not a loophole that people are getting through. They're not playing word games with the, with the wording of a statute. No, it's the crappy law. Yeah, there are things that we need to change, like ending chain migration, for one. We need to get rid of this stupid immigration lottery crap. So there are things we can change. But that's not the main problem. As I've told you, I don't know how many times, too many to count, most of the, the most effective things that Trump can do as president to stop illegal immigration, he has not even tried or has not done in any serious way. He could end illegal immigration right now if he so choose, if he so chose to do. He doesn't do it. Why? I don't know. That's a matter for speculation. I have my theories. You probably have yours. But he chooses not to do these things. He could put the military on the boat. Oh, that's the other thing. He mentioned that. This is what he said. Quote, we can't put our military on the border. We're very politically incorrect in this country. That's what he said. So this is reference to, I guess, this uh, this notion of passe comitatis, I guess. But he's saying that we cannot use our military to secure our border against an invasion of illegal aliens. This is what he said, that we can't do it because we're too politically incorrect. You know, he, he went on to say something along the lines of, you know, Mexico... Uh, isn't politically correct, I guess. This is ridiculous that we do this. This is the lie. Now, it may be that Trump doesn't know any better. Okay, let's... I'm, I am a proponent about, of being honest about our situation, and that includes being honest about the politicians we elect. Trump doesn't know what the hell he's talking about when it comes to most things related to the law and the Constitution. He doesn't know. This isn't his world. He's never been all that interested in politics. He certainly doesn't know a damn thing about the constitution. Um, and I don't, you know, so if he has an administration full of people who take the position, Oh, we can't put the military on the border. That would be terrible. Let's tell Trump that we can't do it, that the law won't let us do it. Well then he might've been getting this advice and he believes it. I don't know. 
But what I could tell you unequivocally is that it's a lie that we can't put our military on the border. Just think about that logically for a second. We can't use our military to defend our border? How ludicrous would that be? That's the primary purpose of a military. It's to defend yourself from invasion, to, in, to defend your borders. There is nothing more fundamental to the mission of a military than defense of the country and defense of the borders. That's like the thing they do. But we can't do that? How asinine is that? Yet, we can send our men and women in the military all over the world to defend the borders of other countries. So we can use our military that we pay for, that our men and women you know, die in service of, we can send them all over the world. We can protect, we can use them to protect every other nation's borders. Every other nation in the world. We can use our military to protect their borders, but we can't use them to protect ours. Ours is the only country whose border, whose borders our military cannot defend. How freaking ridiculous is that? That is what the, your president just said. That's what he said, because as commander in chief, he has our our military deployed right now in many countries around the world defending their their borders. So he's doing that. But he's telling you he can't do it with our borders. That's what your president is telling you. Now, is he lying? Does he know the truth and is just lying about it? Or does he not know any better? Because he. He doesn't understand this stuff himself or has been lied to or whatever. Which is it? I don't know. And honestly, I don't care too much because functionally, it's the same. Either way, he's not using our military to defend our borders against a foreign invasion, and he could be. And for whatever reason, he is choosing not to and telling us, I can't do it. I can't use our military to defend our border. That's what your president, your commander-in-chief is saying. Your commander-in-chief is telling you that while he can use our military to defend borders all around the world, he can't use our military to defend you and your communities against invasion. That's what your commander-in-chief, your president, is telling you. That is an outrage. That should piss off everybody. But no. In fact, most people on our side agree with it. Most people on our side have been so dumbed down over the years that they think that's true. And they'll tell you, oh, posse comitatis. Some statute passed by Congress, they say, prohibits the president from using our military to defend our borders. Well, that's a lie. What Posse Comitatus does is prevents the military from being used for domestic law enforcement, like conducting DWI stops or arresting people on drug charges. That's domestic law enforcement. Defending our nation from invasion is not domestic law enforcement. That is national security. That is exactly what a military is for, and Posse Comitatus has nothing to do with that. And even if Posse Comitatus did prevent that, which it doesn't, but even if it, if it did, that law would be unconstitutional. It would be unconstitutional. And if, if that were the law, Trump would, should ignore it because it's unconstitutional. But it's not the law. It doesn't say that. Because it would be ridiculous. You really think members of Congress, you know, passed a law that says our military can't be used to defend our nation against invasion? No, they didn't write that law. No president signed that into law. It's a lie. It's not true. But that's what your president said. And that's what most people on the conservative side, quote unquote. I'm sure that would be the hot take from, you know, morons on... On, on conservative talk radio and Fox News would tell you. They would probably agree with that. Well, it's absolutely ridiculous. Now, where am I on time? Okay. I've hit the hour mark there. All right. I'm going to wrap it up. i got other stuff that I will save for the next episode so I don't have to rush this. So that'll do it. Thanks for listening to me. And until the next time, remember, go over to Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, um, and, and follow me on those platforms. Go over to patreon.com uh, slash Mark Pantano if you would like to help keep this show on the air. That would be greatly appreciated. Uh, go over to my websites. And also, 
If you enjoy the show, please encourage other people to listen to it. Share links to this show. Leave me positive reviews on whatever uh, podcasting platforms that you listen to to help grow this show. Uh, All of that would be greatly appreciated. We're in this together, so please help help this show grow. And in the meantime, until we do this again, remember, continue to fight the left like your freedom depends on it. Because it does.